You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. I did it. I survived. This is officially the first post-NAM 2019 episode. Sorry, it's just a little bit late, but, you know, recovering from NAM and travel and all that stuff. But all that to say, thanks to everybody who showed up. There were so many of you at the pizza party, it was insane. I don't know exactly how many, but there was a lot. Maybe 60, 70 people, something like that. It was it was pretty insane. So uh, thank you to everyone who showed up and hung out, and a big thank you to all of the folks who chipped in for the giveaway, including B.A. Ferguson Guitars, Gun Street Wiring Shop, Creation Music Company, Fox Pedal, Boss, Solid Gold Effects. It was awesome. It was so fun. We had such a good time, and I hope to do it again next year. In other stuff, this episode is brought to you by Sinusoid, the wonderful folks over at Sinusoid. Have we talked about the slivers? I know we have, but it's been a little bit. The smallest soldered patch cables on the market? You you don't really like the idea of solderless. Maybe the idea is a little sketchy to you, but you do like how compact it is. Well, the sliver is the answer to your problems. Sinusoid sliver is a soldered patch cable that is tiny, 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 so you can squeeze the maximum amount of pedals onto that board of yours, and we all know that's the most important thing that we can be doing. So make sure you check out sinusoid.com and check out the slivers. They're one of my personal favorite products that those guys make, and they make a lot of good products, so make sure you slide over there and check them out today. We're also brought to you by the wonderful Gun Street Wiring Shop. I know we mentioned them a little bit ago. They chipped in a $100 gift card for the giveaway at the pizza party, which is just amazing. And got to hang out with Sean quite a bit at NAM. It was a lot of fun. But you want to know about the products, don't you? Custom wiring harnesses. Anything you can dream of. If you can dream it, there's a good chance they can do it. Push-pull pots, different switches, you know, phase inversion, all kinds of stuff. We were kicking around different ideas the whole show, and it seems like Sean is open to just about anything. So if you check out GunStreetWiringShop.com, don't just limit yourself to the kits you see on hand. Make sure you make sure you use that contact form, and you'll get exactly what you need, exactly the way you need it. GunStreetWiringShop.com. All right, this next guest for many of you needs absolutely no introduction, but maybe a few of you have never heard him. Ariel Posen is a guitar player and singer-songwriter and just general gearhead and great guy. A lot of people know him from playing with the Brothers Landreth, but he is now currently promoting and getting ready to tour on his new solo record. So we talk about that a little bit. We get into the gear, of course, because that's what we do on this show. And I'll stop blabbing. Here's Ariel Posen. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the ToneMob.com podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have Ariel Posen. What Yo. is happening? How's it going, man? It's going really good. I'm very excited to get to do this. Like You and I have chatted on the interwebs on and off for a couple of years, and so it's yeah. nice to be able to sit down and actually have a chat. 
this is like the 2019 version of getting together in person rather than chatting on an online platform. Now we're just chatting essentially over the phone. I mean, like 2019, I'd say we pat ourselves on the back. That's pretty good. Yeah, no kidding. And what's nice about the the glory of the internet is it's it's made international calling a non-issue. That is oh, very yeah. Woohoo. <laughs> Go internet. Go internet. Um but uh yeah, I uh, I'm I'm really excited to do this. It's uh it's it's I've seen, you know, uh your setup and your rigs and stuff and and it's so much different than anything that I do. I'm really excited mm. to get into all that. Absolutely. But I think yeah, I think a good place to start though would be kind of the classic place I like to start with is uh, what made Lil Ariel want to grow up and, you know, <laughs> pick up a, a a guitar that is strung with a steel bridge cables. Well, um Yeah, if yeah, specifically the heavy going gauges. Way well, no, let's like go right, way right back. I was cuz I didn't always play heavier strings. Okay. Oh, you yeah. didn't. So there we go. Yeah. Well, I grew up my, both my parents are musicians and are in a band and I grew up traveling with them, just accompanying them. And then, you know, by the time I was old enough to recognize music and sing along to songs and pretend like I knew what I was doing, I was already playing piano and then immediately switched to guitar when I was about seven or eight. You know, I was a mid nineties kid. I mean, I was born in the eighties, but, but when I was really getting into guitar, the Beatles anthology had just come out and it was like Green Day, Offspring, Rage Against the Machine type of music that was really popular at that time. And that's what made me want to play guitar. It was just bands and songs. It wasn't guitar hero type of people. And that just never looked back. That's that's interesting. I I never really thought about it that way, but that is that is very similar to me. I didn't start playing because I seen somebody rip a sick solo it was because i liked the bands and songs that were playing guitar yeah and i got into guitar hero type people later on but that's that's not what got me started and you know everyone in my class was playing guitar so it was half i needed to play an instrument because it just felt right and half everybody else was doing it so i was like well that's probably what i should do and then they all stopped playing after a month or so and i was the only one that kept going with it <laughs> Do you remember what kind of guitar that was? Um, my first guitar, it's still at my parents' house. It's just this crappy acoustic. Um, I, I don't even know the name. It's, it's this parlor-sized thing that, that didn't last long in terms of me playing it. Um, I convinced my dad. Basically what happened was I was just so sick of it. And the typical kid starting guitar is like, when can I play electric? And we went to Long & McQuaid, which is the Canadian version of Guitar Center. And we rented an Ibanez RX series, <laughs> which is not full shredder. It was very close to close to a, like a standard Strat. Had a humbucker in the bridge. And he said, we'll rent this for a month. We rented like a tiny little practice Fender amp or trainer amp or something like that. And had it for a month. Said, can I have one more month? Okay. Another month. How about one more month? Okay. Sooner or later, we just like didn't give it back. We just basically paid it off <laughs> rather than giving it back. And that was the first electric, surprisingly. The first electric. Yeah. The, and the I, first electric seems to be a turning point for a lot of people. 
A lot of people start on acoustic, and then it's like, and then I got my first electric, and then your everything just changed. Yeah, if like where I'm at now, guitar is guitar, and you're just playing the same thing anyways. But I understand where younger people's heads are at because mine was at the same place. You know, you see people on TV or on the records you listen to getting a certain sound and looking a certain way with a guitar. It's like that's what I want to do. You just have this idea that acoustic guitar isn't as cool <laughs> but it is it totally is um it's just funny how we think when we're younger um but for every young guitar player i know it's, just, it's, it's that moment when you finally get that electric you kind of got a bit more swag on your step and you're just like come on yeah i'm there you know wait a minute wait a minute hold on you're trying to you're telling me that an acoustic guitar is just as cool as an electric guitar. I don't even know what's going on right now. Um, I think so. I mean, at the I look at it, guitar is guitar. And I don't want to get all philosophical, but like, you know, it's the music that is what draws me in now. Um, no. So, I mean, I can do the same thing. Well, to a degree, I can't do all the same things. But 80, 85% of the way I'm doing the same thing, whether it's an acoustic guitar or an electric guitar. As I've matured, I look at it a bit differently, but obviously an electric is a lot more fun. Electric has a lot more variety in the sounds you can get and helps you play differently. And it is definitely more versatile, like that's no question. But um, the acoustic guitar gets slept on quite a bit, I think, by people. And they, they think it's just something, if you're like a rhythm guitar player in a band and you just strum on it, you just there's not much for you to do and it's not really respected, but I think it's so underrated. And people need to show it more love. <laughs> yeah, I was really just kind of being a turd. Um, <laughs> it's a little. Yeah, I thought I smelled it's a something. Little... <laughs> well, yeah, that's yeah, that's another story. We won't get into that on the podcast. But uh... phone calls really <laughs> advanced. I know this this technology we're using is quite uh, it's quite it's quite insane. Thanks, Elon. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, I I it's kind of a reoccurring joke. Uh, sometimes it's not that funny of a joke, but I, I am hopelessly addicted to the electric guitar and, oh yeah, and I, ha I, you know, my wife would really, really like me to buy an acoustic and <laughs> most, most of the music that I listen to on a regular basis is like a little bit more acoustic Americana driven. I mean, I listen Dude. to some very heavy stuff too, but, yeah. um, for some reason I just like, I when I like am looking at another guitar, it's almost always an electric. There's a few acoustics that I would really like to get, but I keep yeah. getting drawn in by the by the wonders of fuzz pedals and and electric guitars for some. Oh reason. yeah, man, I'm with you. That is not crazy by any means. It just there's there's uh there's just something majestic about electric guitars and everything that goes along with it. You know, acoustic is just so much more bare bones. And there is a lot of beauty in um, all the different kinds of styles of acoustic, the, the wood and, all, you know, all that stuff. But with electrics and, like, the actual electronics and this and that, it's just so much deeper. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I when I see somebody, though, that can do amazing things on an acoustic guitar, it makes me do – it does make me go, ah, I need to – I really need to – up my game here. Like if you uh, listen to <laughs> to some like bluegrass players um, who just have that flat picking flat picking technique down, 
and they make these guitars specifically like these dreadnoughts sound like cannons and there is so much tone and rhythm and body coming out of these things it's pretty amazing it's like there's a whole other world of um getting your sounds acoustically and organically rather than through an amp which should be focused on and appreciated just as much as what tubes are you using or what speaker is that you can get so many different sounds just from an acoustic instrument too with just a microphone in front of it it's just it's pretty special just saying i yeah i would agree with that there's there is a a whole world uh inside those those boxes and i think you know that's the acoustic guitar is obviously where that started where where guitar music started from you know uh, there wouldn't be an electric without an acoustic but i feel like I feel like people thought, you know, like, what more could we do with this acoustic? There's just yes. so many sounds. Um, and that's an, on, like, a, I don't know if I'm phrasing this the way I mean it. It's just like, we've maxed it out. You know, you got guys like Robert Johnson and all these old, you know, blues guitarists using the instrument in ways that it was kind of never really intended to be used. And it's like, what else can we do with it? You know, right. The, the thinking. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that line of, of thought. Sometimes I never know where I'm going with the line of thought. I think we're agreeing that acoustic guitar is great. <laughs> Bottom line. Is that what we're doing? That we're, I think so. That's what we're doing right now? I think we just agreed. Well, we'll just continue to do so. Um, so, let's... Uh, so, you, you kind of... We kind of went off on a tangent about the glories of acoustic versus electric, but where we we left off was with you, your parents purchasing that Ibanez for you, and then yes. what, what was the next step? Um, the next step was, actually, it's interesting. We're talking about heavy strings and whatnot. That still didn't, that came a lot later, but, you know, I was into a lot of music. I was into everything from the Beatles to Korn to Eric Clapton to Hendrix to John Mayer to the Foo Fighters, like a little bit of everything. And there was a lot of times where I'd try to learn to play certain things and I'd always just be in standard tuning and I didn't realize that bands would tune, tune down and do all these alternate tunings and seven string guitars and all these things. I just like, it blew my mind. It was something I had no idea about. Um, and then there were, there was years and years later, I got into this guy named Kevin Bright, who's my favorite guitar player of all time he's a canadian dude as well and he's like my slide guru he doesn't just play slide he actually plays every type of strung instrument um but his his slide playing just would move me in certain ways that i've never heard in any other way and he would always play these things and like drop d drop d flat open c sorry like open d open d flat open c and I'd always try to figure it out. It never sounds good. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't know how you do this, especially with the slide. I'd always be fretting out. And then, yeah, just years later, um, it dawned on me to just match your gauge with the tension of the guitar. So, like, I, I, for standard tuning, I don't play under 11s ever. I like 11 to 54. Some guitars I like 12s. And it's not for any reason of string Olympics or strength Olympics on guitar. 
I like how it sounds. I play really hard. So if I play on strings that are too light, I kind of play out of tune sometimes or I'll pull a guitar out of tune really easily. And they're just more resonance in heavier strings. So if I just base it around, if I use 11s or 12s for standard tuning, then if I want to do like open D, I'm going to go down, you know, a couple. So for open D, let's say I'll do 14s or 15s around there. And then for open C, I'll go between 17 and 19. And most people are like, that's crazy. Um, but it's not as crazy as it sounds because you're just matching the tension. You feel me? Right. That makes, yeah, oh, I totally get it. Yeah. And I, as a guy who plays 11s and 12s in standard a lot, I totally understand that. Mm. I don't have any, I don't play, well, I, I do have a baritone and I forget exactly what gauges are on that. It's pretty heavy as well. It's not quite that heavy, but it's pretty intense. But it, it makes a lot of sense. It's not, you know, playing 11s uh, is not that difficult. Like, it's very common for somebody to play 11s in standard tuning. I right. understand people, some people like lighter strings, um, but it's it's not that tough, you know? Like, I, I was able to figure, you know, I was able to start playing, you know, 11s as a teenager, you know? And I, mm. I, I hope I'm stronger now than I was when I was a teenager. It wasn't that that challenging. And I feel like uh, going up to what you're talking about and dropping the tuning, it actually just makes sense from a playing standpoint because you want to maintain the tension that you're used to. And it, it just comes down to like physics, uh, specifically if you're playing with a slide, like certain strings, you're putting a, whether it's glass or brass or ceramic or nickel, it doesn't matter. It just can't hold the weight of a, like a slide. It, you need to up the gauge a bit. And obviously raising your action just to touch helps. Um, but yeah, it's just what works for me. I, I, that's that's all I can say is I've I've spent a lot of time with it and that's really what works for me and it might be different for other people. Um, it shouldn't be about doing something because you see someone else do it. You got them. Everyone's hands are different. Everyone's mentality when playing is different. It's all about just finding out what works for you. And I just go back to when I heard these low corn <laughs> tunings or like a lot of this Kevin Bright stuff that was low tuned and I could just never figure out how did that sound so amazing and you're not buzzing out and fretting out and yeah it just makes sense it does just make sense you just put a bow on it right there Ariel Posen plays heavy gauges because it makes sense that's why <laughs> there you go but you touched on something in there that uh, actually is a, a decent segue into some stuff here uh, some questions I had from the Facebook group that I normally don't get into to a little later, but since you already cool. briefly mentioned it, we should we should touch on this a little bit. Um, Blake Lawson asks, "What dictates your choice of slide material and shape?" Well, um, I've played all types of slides since I've started playing slide, which is about I don't know, maybe the last twelve, thirteen years, maybe the last ten. 11, 12 years being a lot more serious about it. I guess that's most of the years, actually, what I just said. My math is bad this morning. Sorry. Um, you know, I I would play... First of all, the most important thing is finding a slide that fits your finger, most importantly. 
because most people grab a slide that is way too big and you just grab the first one you see at a store and you go cool okay and you start playing it and it doesn't sound good and it's really difficult to play but in your head you just go i guess i'm just not great at this maybe this isn't for me and then you, you put it away and you never play it again i get so many people um who come for lessons or just chat about slide or guitar or whatever and that's one of the things they always say and i always end up talking about this and they're like i never thought about that and it's like it's so strange but it's got to be a bit of a journey to find the right one so finding one that fit took a while because i would play a type of slide that was too big on me for so long and i would get used to it and start to make it work but it never quite felt right and then when i went smaller just everything came together so much faster and then in regards to the, the style, um, like I said, I love the sound of a brass slide because it's just got a bit more grip to it, a bit more top end, and my tone typically is a bit darker, so it just balances it out nicely. And my friend Danny Songhurst, who does the rock slide, I've been a longtime user of his stuff, and I really love how it feels, um, the shape. Um, just had a relationship with him for a long time, and it came about that we did a signature model, which I've been using for the past four years. And it's a brass slide, which is fairly small. Like it fits your pinky, depending how big or small your fingers are. It might fit your ring finger if you have small hands. Uh, with a, And it's got like a dome top. And it doesn't really help your playing necessarily. It just makes everything less harsh. If you're sliding away on the A string and your E string is getting a bit of the slide too, rather than it making a really gross scratching noise, it's just gonna be a nice smooth sliding noise. And I just tried it one day when I was at his house on tour and I loved it. And when the idea came up to do a signature slide, um, he suggested that one and I, I was right there with him. I said, I'm, I, I did really like that. Can we just maybe change the measurements a bit on the length and we did a little bit of adjustment there, but I, that's all I've been using for the last few years. Cool. Cool. Your uh, description of of most people's slide experience was extremely on the nose for me. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah. I guess I'm just not very good at slide. And then I uh, I accidentally dropped it and it broke. And that was that was the end of my sliding experience. Basically, huh. slide is so much um, like you need to kind of make the guitar work for you in a way. Because it's so demanding, you know, you got to get a slide that fits your finger. You got to make sure your actions maybe a touch higher, you get the heavier, slightly heavier strings. It just makes it easier. And like I, and most people don't ever think of that because they just think they're supposed to struggle or it's supposed to be playable just the same way as you would without a slide. Um, but those little things, and not everyone has the luxury to just take a guitar and devote it to, you know, more of a slide thing. And that's fine too. Most of my guitars. I have them set to a place where I can play comfortably with the slide or I can play without it just as comfortably. And I don't know measurements or anything like that, but I just know a spot where it feels. And my tech, um, whenever he works on my stuff, he just knows now. It's probably 98% where you want it. I'll, I'll give it a play and I'll go, oh, maybe just a touch higher than that. And then we, we nail it down. But it's important, you know, make it work That's for you. That that's really interesting because you get you see a lot of people that they'll get like an old you know 
Vader uh, K or something with like a bowed neck and it's just a crazy high action. They're like, it's okay. I'll just use this for a slide guitar. But you try to have them slide or slide for lack of a better term into both camps. Um, yeah. But, um, wait, say that again. I'm confused. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I was, I was literally going to ask you, you know, my next question, which you kind of already answered was going to be, you know, how you set a guitar up for slide. Cause most people oh, will go with something kind of on an, on the extreme end of things. So they'll go with a, a guitar that has a, a crazy high action and, and ah. one that maybe can't even be set up for normal playing. And that will be their, their, their slide guitar. You gotcha. don't tend to like that. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Th there can be a balance. There can totally be a balance. It just takes, a bit of uh, noodling around with it to find it. Um, and it just came, for me, it just came from years of figuring out what I like, figuring out that, how come I always play differently on these guitars and then on these guitars that play a bit, you know, for the lack of a better term, worse, and give you a bit more of a fight? I, I tend to play better on those. I think that's what I like. And, you know, and I just realized, you know, I like the strings a bit higher up off the fretboard. I like the 11s you know, for standard tuning, you know, it's funny. Like when I go to NAM last year, I brought my own guitars with me for sure. But like every other year, I, I usually just don't bring anything. And, you know, every guitar that's there is set up with tens or nines that are like kissing the fretboard. And I go around doing demos or jams with a bunch of my friends. And, you know, it's very cool. People like will come crowd around and it's super flattering and whatnot but i can't play any of these guitars and it's a like, it's a real struggle um it's funny like I mean, it's, it's not actually a problem but it's it's a good sign also to know what you like and how you need a guitar to be and it just makes it just paints a clearer picture for you as a guitar player to know what you need to get to a level that you want to be at with your playing because it needs to be set up exactly how you need it to be, and everyone has different preferences. It's good. That's a that's very interesting. I I you know because you kind of described like what most people are looking for with a guitar, like really low action, you know, medium gauge strings, and yeah. and it makes sense why every guitar at Nam would be set up that way. Um, but I never really thought about somebody who's used to just used to a, a very different type of feel, mm -hmm. kind of struggling with what is quote-unquote standard yeah do you have any other kind of i don't know for lack of a better term weird uh preferences that you have with gear um let me think here well the the string gauge and the height is is a big thing of course um that's basically the most if, if a guitar is set up like that that's really all that matters um, I need to have reverb when I play. If I don't have, if I don't have reverb, I, I play just very strange and differently. I, I, something about how it feels when I play is very important. And um, playing an amp, and this is more so in a, in a band kind of environment, I cannot, unless I'm on in-ears or something, but I can't play an amp that's too low wattage in a band. If I start topping out with my sound, you know, like when you just start breaking up immediately, yeah. um, I I start struggling as a player, and I I start to overplay because I'm just trying to compensate for the fact that I can't hear myself. 
I need an amp with headroom. So much of my playing is a loud amp and an amp with headroom. And 90% of the, or what am I saying, 90%, 100% of the time, my guitar sits at about six or seven on the volume. And the guitar is kind of like the master volume. So if I went to 10 on the guitar, my sound would be, even with an, like a 100 watt two rock or something, I'll typically always have an overdrive on at all times. It'll be pretty rocking at 10. So I can get a clean sound at six or seven and I just use that as a master. And I just find there's a lot more dynamics in my sound. I can get a lot more different tones that way. Rather than always being at 10 on the guitar and you know, tiptoeing on pedals all the time or even amp channels to, um, to get different sounds. And I've been there, I've tried all the different things I've done all the different methods endlessly. That's just another thing that I have found works for me. And that, that's a big part of what I do. I, I'm a big fan of, of writing the volume knob myself. I, if I have an overdrive that, that like that's going to be a big di dictating factor for me on whether I, I'm enjoying a particular overdrive pedal is how well it responds to dynamics and the volume knob. Oh yeah. Um, in that and for me the one of the, like the standard ones that I just I can't seem to get away from every time I plug it in I just love it would be the the Mad Professor Sweet Honey Overdrive. It's like mm. one of the my favorite three knob standard kind of like that I can always make that sound decent. Cool. What's, what is, what's one of your go to dirt boxes? Oh geez. Um, well, oh man, it's so tough. In, in, in this day and age, there is so much stuff. I'm a, I'm a type of player who has his favorites, but I also like to switch it up after a while. I just kind of get bored or I just want to, I'm chasing, I start chasing a different sound in my head. Um, I do have some faves though. <laughs> um, so these are, these would be dirt boxes that I don't usually hit with another pedal. These are like the always on for me. But it'll never okay. be stacked. It'll, it'll be one of these. So the Duelist by Jesse Davey is amazing, and that like I use that a lot on my new record, and I use it live a lot. It's kind of like a blues breaker and a tube screamer dual overdrive thing. I've had a King of Tone for a few years that I love, and that thing is just, you know, when all else fails, you put that on. It's like, oh yeah, right. This is just that sound. It's perfect. <laughs> um, I love. The Hudson Broadcast is a big oh, yes. thing that I've used a lot, but not as much with Strat. And like, I'm a big single coil pickup guy, and I love Strats. I love that guitar with like humbuckers for some reason. Or sorry, I love that pedal with humbuckers. It's pretty magical. Um, there's so many others, and I'm gonna. And I feel bad because I'm gonna miss. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna forget some. You know, the Jan Ray is great by Vemaram. The which I know is you know, doing like the Timmy thing and that's a whole other discussion in itself. But you know, the light speed is great by Greer, the, uh, the data list, which is actually discontinued by my friend Zach at mythos pedals. Um, data list was like a blues breaker that I really liked. And we actually did a signature Ariel Posen one, like a limited run on one. And that is great. I use that. And <laughs> I know there's a bunch of other ones I'm forgetting. <laughs> well, there's too I, much. 
That's you too mean much. you can't name every drive pedal on the market? Come on, get yeah. it together. <laughs> that's, that's, that's just ridiculous. No, you named a couple of my favorites in there too. I love the broadcast. I really love the light speed. Um, it's, I think those are great. And I mean, I haven't played all of the ones you mentioned, but if you like, if you know, if you like a few of the ones that I like, I feel like we'll, we'll be on the same page. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, like, man. What it comes down yeah. to for me is it needs to be a, an overdrive that is super dynamic. Um, I don't like overdrives that are too loud. You know, like when you're only at nine o'clock or something, which would be maybe three, three on the dial and it's, all, it's almost like unusably loud. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. I like, I like overdrives where you, you know, you, you can have everything at 12 o'clock and it's just, obviously it's going to be a touch more than unity, but it feels right. And it's very close and it's very natural and musical sounding. And when you turn your volume down on the guitar, it's, it can clean up really nicely and be very dynamic. That's, that's what I like. And that's, you know, fuzz pedals is a big part of what I like too. And that's a whole other discussion, but the same thing with fuzz pedals. They, they clean up even more so than overdrive pedals. Yeah, it's all good stuff. It's all really good well, stuff. Fuzz is a whole nother discussion before yeah. we start talking about fuzz, which is my, my, the, my number one effect love in life. <laughs> all right. Um, uh, I got a, another question that since we're talking about effects from the, the Facebook group, uh, Christian Williams, he wants to know your thoughts on compressors, um, specifically okay. where in you cha- your chain you use them and, and like how, how you kind of play around with those. Yeah. Um, I've had an interesting time with compressors in the last few years. I've never used compressors up until three or four years ago. I just never thought about it. I, I, I'd try it once. I, I had a Keeley four knob, like I still have it. Uh, and I just, maybe I just never knew how to use it properly, but whenever I'd kick it on, it just sounded like I should be playing chicken picking stuff, which is not what I do. And I could just never get on with it really. Um, but I got, first of all, when I record and when anyone records in the studio, whether it's guitars, whether you play drums, you sing, everything gets compressed. and it's a sound that we all um, experience in our lives, whether we realize it or not. Um, but for guitar, um, I, I got my hands on a Cali 76 by Origin Effects, which is marvelous, absolutely marvelous. Um, I got it and I ran it at the beginning of my chain. And this was just on a tinier pedal board. I was running it at 9 volts. You can run, run it at 18 volts as well. Um, and something about it, I left it on all the time. When I had to play a gig that I had to be really quiet on, it made everything feel good. When I, when I wanted to be really loud, it made everything feel great and not so pokey, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And then I updated my board. And I went, you know, full G2, switcher, bunch of things. And it was recommended to me that I should consider putting the, the compressor uh, after my overdrives. So I go fuzz, fuzzes, overdrives, and then the compressor. And instead of running it at 9 volts, I was also highly recommended that I should be running it at 18 volts. And once I did that, 
first of all, there was just so much more headroom on the compressor. It started compressing everything even more than I was used to. It, start, it started doing a different function. In fact, it started doing, I think what it's supposed to do is really suck out your dynamics a lot more. Um, so it's still awesome. Don't get me wrong. I don't use it live as much anymore because I want all my dynamics to come from me on the guitar. I don't want to pedal taking any of that away live. Now in the studio, uh, it comes, it, it, it can be useful very much so in the studio. Just, you know, maybe it's a slide track or a solo or some kind of part can just have, can just really benefit from having that extra bloom from it. Um, but for live now, I, I almost, I don't use it nearly as much as I was when I had it at nine volts at the beginning of my chain. And maybe I'll eventually switch back to it because it, it did feel really great. Um, it was just interesting. I, I, I'll give some other honorable mentions. I, I love the Cali 76. I use that religiously whenever I use compressors. Uh, I use a little bit of compressor pedal on my record. And for that, I actually used the Fat General by Thorpey Effects. I don't know if you're hip to him. Oh, yes, for sure. Yeah. So that compressor is amazing. It's just, I mean, apples and oranges with the, with the Cali. It's just a different vibe, but it's really great, too. Those would be my two favorite compressor pedals, hands down. Um, but that's my experience with them, to be honest. That's your experience with compressors. I, yeah. I kind of, uh, I can relate, and I didn't really get into compressors until the last couple of years. I, and this is the reason, because I usually am playing with so much fuzz that when dirt, that it's, I got plenty of compression from those. Yeah. And I didn't really feel the need to get more, but I, I do understand what you're saying, you know, with the, with certain times, it, it just feels better to have that extra little squish that, you know, exactly. bring up, bring up, I, I kind of think of it as bringing up some soft parts for me. I know it does. That's not exactly exactly what it's doing it's making everything more uniform but i kind of think of it it's like i'm i'm when i'm attempting to do chicken picking stuff i almost always will have a compressor on of, of some yeah some another you almost have to it's that it's I, you know it compress compressors are an effect to me like it, it's not how do i say this i think of a compressor like kicking on a leslie pedal or a chorus pedal like it, it does a certain thing when I need a specific sound or a certain function, I kick the compressor on now rather than like an overdrive pedal just needs to be left on all the time. Right. That's right. kind that of how makes I a think lot of sense. It. Yeah. Yep. I gotcha. That's that, that makes a ton of sense. Ton of sense. Mm. All right. I'm going to sweep through the, these uh, Facebook group questions and we can, we can, we can go back into general conversation after that. So, one of the ones, and this actually might make a lot of sense because I know you got a new record and you're going to be touring. Indeed. Um, so that's that's super exciting and rad. But what uh, Rick Calhoun asks, what is it like performing in different countries? Are there big differences between the U.S., Canada, and the U.K.? And um, also, he's a huge fan, by the way. Ah, says. thanks, thanks, Rick. Um, yes. Uh, well. Each country is a little different, but each town and city in each country is also very different. So <laughs> in my experiences, when you, when you tour in Canada, 
and you play, and this is kind of in the States too. And you, if you're playing in LA or New York or Nashville or Chicago or Toronto, Vancouver, there's a kind of a big city reaction or reception that you get where the crowd is almost more in it with you. And I know most people would think it'd be the opposite. Like they don't, they don't, they'd care less maybe, but it, I, in my experiences, it's it's not true. They're a lot more receptive and they're a lot more vocal and appreciative in some ways. Um, whereas you get go to smaller cities uh, and towns and they're a bit more reserved they, and they love it just as much. And they'll come up and, uh, you know, see you after and say hi. But their ways of showing, showing it is a bit different. They're a bit more subdued and reserved. And the UK, um, and honestly, anywhere I've played in Europe, in the UK, they're very receptive. People are very nice. They just love guitar. They love bands. They love songs. They love it all. And they really want to let you know that they appreciate it and that they appreciate you coming there. It's great. I love I love going there. Um, every place is great to tour. That's a very sitting on the top, sitting on the fence answer. But it's <laughs> very diplomatic of you. Yeah. Every I can't say there's a better place than others, but. They're all great. Just different. Yes. Gotcha. That makes that makes a ton of sense. Um, let's go. Oh boy. So wow, wow, we got some more questions coming in. Wow. Hit, hit me Easy. with the man. It's good. Easy got... guys, settle down. Um, um, this is kind of a strangely phrased question, and I don't know that it applies to everything. Uh, but an. Uh, Nick View, he asks, I probably said his name wrong. I always say his name wrong. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> I know. You know I love you. Um, he has a couple of questions, but one of the ones that I think that I'd like you to clarify, he asks, why a baritone? You don't just play baritone, though, do you? Um, I don't just play baritone. Um, so when I play an open C, that's, um, that's the, the intervals are 1, 3, 5, 3, 5, 1. Just like open E, but in C. And it's basically one semitone sharp of baritone tuning. So baritone tuning, it's not an open tuning. It's standard. It's like having a seven-string guitar but with no E-string on top. So it's mm -hmm. B, E, A, D, um, F sharp, B. Yes. And, and basically what happened was um, I, I never owned like a proper baritone because – like with the longer scale length, I don't love it because it just sounds like a bass to me. And I've never okay. dug that for some reason. Like if I, if I want that kind of sound, like I'll just buy a bass. This is just how I've been. So I like keeping everything standard scale length. And like the open C stuff is really low tuned, but it still sounds like guitar. And on my record, I, I took this uh, Tesco Delray that I have that I bought for $50 in Goshen, Indiana on tour once. And I put on the heavy strings and I tuned it to baritone standard. And it's the guitar that I play on a song called Get You Back that's on my record. And I was like, okay, this is speaking to me because it still just sounds like guitar. It doesn't sound like a bass, like what I was describing, but it's really low and got a lot of vibe. And the opportunity came to collaborate with my friend Matt from Mule Resophonic Guitars. Yeah, and um, I've always asked him, or I had always asked him for a few months, just like, I know you do the tellies, 
uh, and they're super cool, but you should make me a Strat. And he was, ah, I, I just don't have the, you know, they're steel, and I don't have the, uh, the like the cutouts, the template for a Strat thing, and, you know, kept pushing it off. And then I guess after bugging him enough times, he was just like, dude, we're doing it. I, I figured it out. Let's do this. And once we got going with the Strat idea, I was thinking about that guitar because that, that Tiesco Del Rey is wicked. It's one gold foil pickup, super microphonic. It's got a lot of character, but you, can, you almost can't play it live because it'll just, it feeds back all the time. Right. Um, so I was, I told him, you know what? Let's set this guitar up with 17 to 64 strings and baritone tuning. So that standard B tuning. And I've just spent the last three months with it. So people that follow me will see that I've been playing it a lot lately. And I've just been spending a lot of time taking a lot of the things I play already in standard tuning and transposing it for baritone tuning. And I've just been really enjoying it. I just love the low. I love the lowness of it. I love the characteristic of it. The pickups in that guitar are really dynamic. And I've just kind of fallen in love with it. There's, yeah, that's, that's the, really the only reason. It's just something new and something different. I, I just wanted to do something that not a lot of other people are doing. And the standard scale baritone strat is something I've just really been digging and will continue to do. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. That sounds, that sounds like all the reason a guy would need. And yeah. Matt's, Matt's guitars are so cool. He's came on here before and he's probably overdue to come on again, but I'm actually um, going to go see him tomorrow. So, Oh, you are. I'll, t I'll tell him you said hi. Yes, please do. Please All tell right. him I said hi. That's so cool. All right. We got one more Facebook group question and the, I'm still working. If this, if this sounds a little bit, uh, scattered and all over the place. I'm still working on integrating these Facebook group questions. It's kind of a new thing that I started doing. Uh, oh, man, it's usually it was just me rambling the whole time. And so now I'm trying to figure out how to kind of integrate these in a smoother fashion. But yeah. uh, last one I'm going to do, and this is one is being suggested that this become a new standard question. So maybe it will be. It's pretty good. Uh, Jason Fuzzmonger wants to know what your favorite boss pedal is. Ooh. Um, well, my first ever pedal <laughs> that I ever bought was the Boss Distortion, is it the DS1, the orange guy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Nirvana DS1. Pedal. Yeah, and that was my first pedal. Uh, you know, Boss holds a special place in my heart, and I have a, I have a good relationship with those guys. I love all the stuff that they're doing. Um, but what my favorite boss pedal these days would be, I think it would be a tie between the new Dimension C pedal they just did. And I had the mm -hmm. fortune of doing like the unveiling video with them. That pedal is wicked. And um, their multi-effect pedals, like that their version of the, the Strymon Timeline, Mobius type of pedals. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Those are the, those like are, the RV five hundred, yes. and all the DD five hundred and all that stuff. Yeah, those those hold the tie for me. Those and the Dimension C are my favorite boss pedals for sure. That Dimension C has been getting mentioned to me a lot. I need to try that thing. 
I really yeah, do. it's it's pretty rad. Um, it's pretty rad. All I can say is, if you like chorus, I do. Um, and I, I'm not even the biggest chorus guy, but sometimes it just has that right thing, you know. Uh, it's a really good one. I'd say that I'd say the Dimension C and the the Julia by Walrus are my two favorite chorus pedals, like actual are, straight up chorus. Those are really great pedals, and I one thing I find with chorus is. I, I I find that people who say they don't like chorus have not really explored that effect that much. Totally. I used to think that I didn't like chorus either, but then I found a few and that I really liked. Uh, one of them kind of surprised me. It's an old uh, DOD. I forget which number it is, but it's the old DOD stereo chorus. I think it's the FX 65. Mm. That thing sounds phenomenal and they're cheap. Um, and they look cool because old DOD pedals look cool, even if they're totally. a sketchy. But the thing about, that one is yeah. Cool. The thing about pe people, I mean, just like how they buy a slide and they don't get one that fits, and they're like, ah, I guess I suck at this. They people buy a chorus pedal expecting that they just are gonna do Andy Summers sounds, and most of the Andy Summers sounds that they know that they know and love are actually a flanger, hilariously enough. Right. Exactly. Um, um, but they, they think they're going to get a different sound and they, they just think of it as like this novelty or a one trick pony. Um, but you know, there's so many more functions that a chorus pedal does. Like if you're running stereo amps and you split that chorus pedal, it does this, this phase thing to your sound that just, I don't even know how to put it into words, but it, it makes it magical. And I think like I'm, Hmm, who was it? Uh, I think Joe Bonamassa even, who's like notoriously not an effects guy, I think he runs a, a stereo chorus pedal of some kind at all times. It's like very low depth on the chorus side, but it does something when you're running a bunch of amps that just blooms your sound up a bit. I wish I could explain it better than I am, but it's just, yeah, if you're listening, go and try it. <laughs> Let us go know. Try go try it. Tell me what you think. I know, I know that if you have, it sounds, this might sound kind of weird to phrase it like this, but sometimes when you're running multiple amps, you can run into phasing issues here and there. Yes. And a, I have found that a stereo chorus actually is a kind of a cheat code for that. Totally. Where it's like, it's like, oh, I'm out of, I, I think I'm out of phase. Let me just adjust this a little bit and aha, now I'm not anymore. Yeah, maybe that's actually what I was, the trick I was hearing. I think it was just fixing out of phase. Um, I'm I so mean, used, you know, I'm so used to the G2 now, which is it has a phase switch basically, and mm -hmm. if you're out of phase, you just hit this one thing and it's you're good to go, which is great. It's nice and easy. Um, but the, I think that's the chorus pedal function for sure. Yeah, they're just great. I mean, they're underrated. Yeah, and it definitely fattens up the sound too. It, I'm not saying that's all it does, but I've found that that's like it's kind of like a cheat code if you don't have a if you don't have a phase of the ability to switch phase on the fly like you're talking about yeah the, exactly the chorus pedal will kind of alleviate that to, totally. to some degree but then if you hate chorus then you're stuck with the chorus pedal but you should try it anyway cuz we said so <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly so let's let's get into fuzz what yeah. do you like in a fuzz what kind of fuzz is your go-to, all that stuff. Let's talk about the square waves. All right, well, two, I'll typically always have two fuzzes on my board. One is an octave fuzz, 
like kind of an Octavian type of thing. Mm -hmm. And my first legit one years ago was the full tone um, Octafuzz. I think it was just called the Octafuzz. Yeah. The, the big blue one. I wish I never sold it because that specific one I had sounded, didn't sound like any other ones. Like everyone else has sounded the same. Mine had this mojo to it. And 10 years ago, I was pretty careless. I would buy gear weekly. I'd sell it, get something else the next week. Next week, sell it again. You know, like I was just ripping through things. I didn't really know what I wanted. I didn't really know what I needed. Um, I was still young. And that was one pedal that got lost in the fray, for sure. Um, but I love having an Octavian. My faves are um, the Tyco Habre Octavian, like Chicago Iron thing. Is that it's how really you say good. that? Uh, maybe I'm I, wrong. I don't know how to say that. On I'm not. I'm. I thought maybe I was just getting educated because I've always called. I've always it. said it, and maybe I'm wrong too. But I'm just gonna stick to it. <laughs> I like it. That's fine. If I'm down with, I I was like I I don't know. There's certain there's certain terms that I that I I I've only seen written, and I don't know how you actually say it. That's one of them. I kind of like the idea of never really knowing how to properly say it for some reason. Um, but my, <laughs> I have don't basically, correct. I, what's that? Don't okay. correct us if you know how to say it out there. We like the mystery. Yeah, we like the mystery. We don't need the correct answer. Um, I basically have two boards. I have a big, um, I have a big board, and I have a smaller board, and both of them have an Octavia type fuzz, and both have another fuzz, which I'll get to. But my two favorites and what I currently have on both boards, um, a lot of people know that I use the Beatronics Octahive, mm -hmm. which is a very, very great octave fuzz pedal. It's very dynamic. It cleans up great. I love that. Um, and on the bigger board, I have the Jesse Davey. I always call his pedals the Jesse Davey, but it's King Tone, um, his Octavian. It's really great as well um and i can't believe i oh yeah the octoland that's what it's called those are two of my favorite octa um fuzz pedals right now very great and those and are both just... on that board no no no. That one's matter. one's on the, the beatronics is on my smaller board and the octoland is on my bigger board okay gotcha I'm yeah sorry now. sorry i just meant on typically on any board i'll always have one Octavian style pedal and one other fuzz. Okay. So I love that sound. It's just, you know, it doesn't even really get used that much. Um, but it's just something I feel like I always need to have just in case. For certain I'm, tracks. I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily trying to do like the Hendrix thing ever. Um, but it's just a, a sound I love to have. And you never know when you'll use it. But what I use the most is the other fuzz. And that's typically... Uh, a silicon fuzz, like a fuzz face type of thing. Um, I, I have a bunch of fuzz pedals, germanium as well. And I like the consistency of silicon fuzz because like if, you, if you're playing a festival on a hot summer day with the germanium fuzz, like it won't act the same. Like it'll actually start farting out on you. Yes. And like you need to literally cool it in a fridge or something like that. I don't have the patience for anything like that. Um, in a contained environment, they're freaking amazing. Um, but something about the silicon fuzz 
pedals that I've tried and my favorites, which I'll get to in a sec, you know, they're consistent. They're not temperamental. You can play them anywhere, inside or outside, and they sound the same. They just breathe fire, which is what I love. Um, they have a bit more top end while retaining all the low end. I find sometimes Germanian style pedals just start get a little too low endy for me. And I'm not as crazy about that. When the rest of my sound is already dark, it's almost too much. Um, and they're very dynamic. The, the silicon fuzz pedals that I use are super dynamic. So if, if that's the only pedal I have on and I turn down to five or six, it's fully clean. It's just interesting. Clean, cleaner than an overdrive pedal. So on my smaller board, I have, again, it's also the Jesse Davey silicon fuzz. And I've done sessions where I have no other pedal on except that one. And I'm at like seven or eight on the guitar and it just sounds like a wicked overdrive <laughs> and works great for a solo. And then if I crank it up even just to a nine, it's obliterating your face. And then if I turn it down to a five, it's like a crystal clear, clean tone. It's really versatile, which I like. That's um, extremely cool. Yeah. And on the big board, I'm currently using the Vemaram Oz, which is the Oz Noise signature pedal fuzz. And it's also a silicon... Same, same exact thing as the Jesse Davey one, just really dynamic, really big, fat, chewy sounding. Um, it's just fantastic. I love very it. Very cool. Those are the ones. Very, very cool. I like, I like uh, the way you're, you kind of approach it. I, I, you know, I tend, I, I stack fuzz. I do all kinds of idiotic things with fuzz all the time. Um, but I, I I do like that you're you're you kind of you try to get one that can cover basically the whole spectrum of of what you need and and uh, just with the volume knob I've I've found that like a lot of fuzz pedals struggle to be super dynamic a lot of them are just walls of death which yeah. I love yeah but that I there's it seems like that would be difficult to integrate into something like what you do exactly exactly I can't do the wall of death type one it's just it's actually just too much for me i can't and there's there's been a lot and i still have a lot of them you know certain fuzz pedals like that where for my sound and my style of playing it's just kind of unusable it just doesn't work for me i'm not saying that they're bad there's no right or wrong but there is right or wrong for when you know what you need for your own sound and your playing and those just don't really suit me as much as the ones that I mentioned that are really uh yeah really dynamic and just contained a bit more but you can it's like having it's like having a dog on a leash and then the the other one the wall of death ones are like walking down a busy street without and not having your dog on a leash and you just chasing after it in traffic You're like not you know <laughs> It's madness. Yeah. I, <laughs> I like kind of weird. Like there's there's a time and a place to get wild, but it's not it's not walking down the busy street. It's uh <laughs> anyway. Um exactly. but I wanted to uh, talk about your new record here just a little bit more in depth. Um and kind yes. of you know, the the process you went through in creating it and and what you want people to take out of it and all that 
groovy stuff. Like, just just tell us about the new record. Just talk about it in in a general term. Well, uh, it's my first solo record ever. Um, it's really been two years of working on material and and just deciding to do it. Uh, but really, it's been my entire life kind of leading up to it. I've, it's something I've always wanted to do and pursue, but I've never really forced it. Or, you know, it's always been at the back of my mind. And it just naturally, it started happening and naturally just started taking over. And it's great. I'm really enjoying it. The record is a song's first record. It is definitely not a guitar record. Although there was probably the most time was spent on the guitar tones and sounds and parts. And there's a lot of guitar moments. Every song has a lot of moments, but it's about the song. It's not a guitar record per se. Um, yeah, I had a really fun and challenging time. Like when it's your own record, things that would be a normal and easy decision you know, I, I produce records for people and I just as a sideman, I do a lot of sessions for other people and someone brings a song and it's like, oh, cool. Yeah, I'm going to lay down a trem part here and then a fuzz for the song. You know, like I don't even it's it's really easy to to know what it needs. But for, when it was my own songs and my own record, I was I was really leaning on Murray, my producer, to be like, uh, I have no idea what to do. What should we do here? It was kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, it's a tip of the hat to all the people that follow me and who are fans. I think if they haven't heard it, I think they'll like it. It's It's got everything that like I'm known for doing, but hopefully songs that mean something to people and they can walk away from feeling some feelings, but also being musically very satisfied and tonally satisfied. Yes, that's. That's that's very nice. I I'm I'm excited to give it a listen. I have I've not got to check it out yet, but it's on my it's on my playlist for my my drive I got to have later. So, nice. I'm very excited to check it out. And I'm assuming that people can find that on Spotify and all the other places. Is that correct? Yes, available everywhere. Um if they really want to support, you know, they can they can go to my website arielposen.com go to my online store and buy a physical um, or come out to a show on tour and uh, buy one in person or go to my band camp. Band camp is pretty good. You, um, you actually will make money off of band camp more so than iTunes and whatnot, but it's all good. As long as people are listening to it, that's what's most important. Of course, of course. Yeah. Well, we're getting a, I'm, I'm really, uh, really excited to check this out. I think this is going to be really interesting because what you, you know, I've, I've listened to some of your work with the, with the brothers as, as people are aware of. So I'm excited to check out your solo stuff and see, see what that's all about. Very right excited on. about it. Thanks, man. Um, what, what, if anything, have, have you taken away from like, what, what, what advice would you give to somebody who's like struggling, who wants to do what you did, who wants to kind of create their first record. So I know having been through that process myself, it's kind of daunting. Do you have any advice for somebody that wants to, but maybe hasn't, is a little nervous about it or hasn't had yeah. the push or, or whatever? Yeah, I have serious advice. Um, it's a few things. First of all, no one is going to do it for you and no one is going to hold your hand along the way, it's all up to you to make and anything in the music industry as a musician or 
any other aspect of this industry, you got to hustle and make it all happen for yourself. You got to make the things happen. You got to just dive in and commit to it and and make it happen. You got to make the phone calls. You got to do all that stuff. Um, that's a big part of it. Um, and that's just in regards to the artistic side and like the songs and the music. Uh, it's easy to sound like other people, uh, but it's hard to find your own voice and stick to your own sound to that is as honest as can be and like truly what you're hearing in your head rather than just trying to come up with something. If you're writing an album thinking that you're going to tap into some market to make some money, chances are it's not going to do great because it's not going to be fully sincere and people can smell dishonest and phony and they, they really... People are interested in honesty and sincerity in music and whether it's good or bad, if you mean it, people give it attention, you know? So just say, I'd say, you just got to make it happen. You got to hustle. It's all up to you and just be honest and hone in on what you really want to be doing because that's what people will want to be hearing the most out of you. I like that. I think we've been force fed a lot of dishonest music for lack of a better term, uh, especially, I don't know, I feel like especially in modern times. And I think that you're right. People are hungry to hear an honest take on something, something that's genuine and kind of from the heart. Yeah. And so I feel like that was really good advice. Cool. Now we got, you know, after getting all a little bit mushy and, and, and serious there for a minute, I got an, I got another question and this Give one's me. a little bit, it's a little bit hard for a lot of people to answer. So, um, you know, but it is kind of a career maker or breaker. So I hope you're, you're sitting down and comfortable. I am. What kind of pizza do you like? Well, this is an interesting one for me because I'm a carnivore. I, I do love my meat. I truly do. Mm -hmm. And I love pizza. <laughs> but for some reason... Okay, like, I love fruit. I eat fruit. And maybe I'm just a picky eater, but I love most fruit. But if you put them all together and call it fruit salad in a bowl, I'm kind of disgusted by it for some reason. I, I really don't like that. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, and with pizza, and like, I love seeds and nuts. But if you put them in a salad, I'm just like, what? What are you doing? And for some reason with with pizza, I'm, it's not that drastic, um, but I don't love meat on pizza for some reason. Interesting. Yeah, like a meat lover's pizza, it's just not my thing. The flavors, I don't know. Something just, I don't like it as much. You know, I love you know, some chicken on pizza or like a fancy kind of prosciutto or something. If you go to like a kind of a hippie, nice pizza place, it's great. But when you start getting all the crazy things on, and I worked in a pizza joint too in high school, so maybe that could be a reason for it because I, I spent eight hours a day putting gross refrigerated meat toppings on pizzas that maybe it just turned me off. In fact, I'm just realizing now, maybe that's exactly why. The pepperoni just seemed so gross. Uh, the, the Italian sausage was just like, what the hell is this? Like, I can't believe, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so to answer your question, my favorite type of pizza is the Old Faithful cheese. 
Ah. But I will eat like a veggie pizza. I will do like, yeah, just maybe just pineapple. Maybe just onion and green peppers. Oh, no, not the pineapple. You said, oh, that, we got to end this podcast. I All right. Well, it's been, it's been nice knowing you, man. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, um, no I, that's interesting. And I will, I will say that I have been, you know, I, I mean, I am a little bit opposite of you. I really like meats on my pizza, but I have gained a, a huge respect for a quality cheese slice. Yes. Uh, in, in the last couple of years. It's like, if you can't do that right, if you can't do a cheese slice that tastes good, then you need to reevaluate your pizza. Agreed. Like that needs to be good. And if it's not, then we've, we've got a problem. There's a bit of an art to it, too, because the amount of cheese you're putting on is the deal breaker. It, it, that's what decides the quality of the cheese slice, right? Because you don't want to have too much sauce, but you don't want to have too little sauce. You don't want too much cheese, and you don't want... like. Sometimes you get pieces that are, are dripping with cheese, and while that might seem like that's great, when it's all falling off and not staying together, that's not great. But when there's not enough, and you know, like a, like a margarita pizza is, I forget the kind of cheese it is, but it's, it's not mozzarella. It's more blotchy, and it's more tomato sauce-based slices, and it's great. Mm -hmm. But when you just get a nice ratio of everything, and it stays on together nice, and I like it with maybe, I love cheese. Like, I just love it. Could eat it all day if my body would let me. But, um, <laughs> yeah, simple and nice. It's good. I like it. I, I'm, I'm fully on board with that. <laughs> well, kind of the last, uh, the last thing, I, I, I flip-flop my, my usual order of things. But since, uh, since it's too late for that, last thing would be if you could uh, put up a billboard and put anything you want on it. What would you put on it? Because now is your time to to make that statement. I could just put anything on a billboard? Anything. And like show everybody. <laughs> uh, I would just say... I it's a little bit heavy sometimes, but it's a, I feel like it's a valid question. Oh, jeez. don't want it to be pretentious. It'd be cool for if it was something funny. <laughs> like I don't, I don't want to sound like a motivational speaker or, you know, trying to teach anyone anything. But I, I, I think on a billboard, you know, just it'd be something to do with just like, just be you, you know, like find your own voice or whatever it is in any kind of, it doesn't have to just be music, just like stay true to what, whatever it is you do. I like that. That's, That's kind of cheesy, but that's all I it's, can think of. Well, cheesy fits in with the, the topic that we were just discussing prior. So <laughs> right? That, that, that works out just fine. Clearly something is on my mind now. <laughs> I know what you're eating later. Yeah. Or maybe right, right now. Well, I feel like... Oh, oh. No, I'm not. Well, yeah, but but maybe I should you? be, is what I'm saying. You can. I don't see any reason why not. It's, <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a good spot to wrap this up on. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my absolute pleasure, man. Let's do it again. Thank you. Yes, we shall. We shall. All right, everyone. For Ariel, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. Man.
That was a lot of fun. Really, really enjoyed that chat. I'm going to definitely take him up on that uh, come back on offer. So I hope you guys liked that as much as I did. If you need a little more, there is always Patreon. And Ariel and I did hop over to Patreon and do a little more podcasting over there. So if you want to hear more of this conversation, including a very um, unfortunate experience he almost had on tour, you can slide over to patreon.com slash tonemob and you can listen to the rest of the conversation right over there for as little as $5 a month. And with that $5, you will get extra Tone Mob content every week. So yes, it is a it is quite a fun thing over there. And if you need more, more nerding out, don't forget to check out the Facebook group. Haven't talked about that in a little while. We'll, we're all still in there hanging out, being geeks, and having a good time. So... If you just search on Facebook, The Tone Mob, you'll find The Tone Mob Facebook group and join that. Make sure you answer the questions. We don't actually let anybody in who doesn't answer the questions because that helps us filter out bots very effectively. And so make sure you do answer those questions. You don't have to answer them seriously, but just answer them in a way that we know that you're not a robot. So anyway, thank you very much for listening. If you could share this with one person, that would be amazing. Just share it around. That's what uh, keeps this whole show going, is just amplifying the signal. All right, I think that's a wrap. I will talk to you next week. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.